Hello and welcome to Failsafe Fitness Podcast. This is your questions answered edition. This is a extra podcast on top of the normal one. We know the one last week went out a little early. Small clerical error. I am working with a broken microphone as well, so this is going to be a fun show. So, as I've been saying all the way through January, I've been getting some questions coming through, coming in from you guys out there who are listening. Thank you very much. Please like, subscribe, share with your friends on Spotify and Amazon. It's been a pleasure bringing this to you. It's been fun, and we're going to continue this for the near future anyway. So, yeah, I mean... Five fitness questions, five nutrition questions, and five golf questions. These are the five that have been coming through the most over the last, well, last four, five weeks since the podcast has been coming out. Um, And it's been great as a host to see a pattern that seems to be happening, especially with what's coming into me. So... As you know, I'm Michael Joshua. This is Failsafe Fitness Podcast. I own Failsafe Fitness Limited. We do nutrition and fitness, strength and conditioning. And as of 2023, we're also a company that is looking into doing and is doing golf performance coaching. So it's going to be interesting if you want to get fitter, leaner, stronger, longer, and all around better at your golf game, get in touch. We can certainly help you out with that. This is a show that's been, you know, six weeks in the planning. Uh, we've gone through hundreds of emails that have come in. And these are the 15 questions that have definitely been very much recurring. So we'll crack straight into it, shall we? These are the five fitness ones that have popped up the most. And number one of that list is how you can stay motivated. So, especially if you're joining a gym for the first time or you haven't been to the gym for a very long time, it's very interesting and very hard to keep yourself motivated because you go back, you get sore, you don't want to go back, but you do go back. And a couple of things you can do to keep yourself motivated is drag someone else along, whether that be a family member or a friend, or introduce yourself to someone if you're that confident. Introduce yourself to someone at that new gym and say, look, what days do you come? Can I come and train with you? Getting yourself a workout buddy, uh, male, female or otherwise, can help you stay motivated. Just working out with someone else alongside you gives you the motivation to go back. You're not just going back for yourself then. You're going back to help them spot them keep them going, they keep you going. It's a great way to keep yourself motivated to go back to the gym. Just find yourself a workout buddy. The other one is committing to personal training sessions. And as a personal trainer, strength and conditioning coach, it's motivating not just for the coach, but also for the client if they can see some results. I mean, it's not straight away. And as long as you're personal training strength and conditioning coach is invested in you i.e he's taking the time to evaluate your abilities your mobility your physical attributes 
and taking on board what you can and can't do and introducing you to new things, it keeps you motivated because you want to go back and you've got all these new things to go and try. Whether that be free weights or Olympic lifting or, you know, just mobility exercises that are helping you with your everyday life. Those are things that will definitely help keep you motivated. So that's no, that's question number one, how to stay motivated. Find yourself a workout buddy or hire yourself a personal trainer, strength and conditioning coach. Or even try something like CrossFit is the other one. CrossFit's a great community. It's a very tough environment to be competitive in, but it's a great way to train. And you, you don't just have one gym buddy then. You've got, you know, 8, 10, 12, 15 gym buddies that are all suffering from the same workout. Even though you may not be doing the same weight, you're all suffering the same workout. So you feel each other's pain. So those are the, those are the things I'd say to stay motivated to keep going back to the gym. Number two, how to not spend hours on cardio. Now, this is something that pops up a long time, and I'm a endomorph. So, you know, spending hours on cardio is, is tough not to do for me, because I do build muscle quite well, but, you know, I'm not exactly, you know, doing much in terms of uh, of burning fat a lot and i get this quite a bit how not to spend hours on cardio how could i not go to the gym and jump from one machine to another or i do 30 minutes of this and uh, two hours of that or running and the easy the easy way is is just do it as either high intensity interval training which will help burn fat and build has the studies have shown that high intensity interval training in terms of bike row sprints can just build as much cardiovascular uh, endurance as doing, you know, 30, 40, 60 minutes steady state cardio. So if you want to add some cardio into your thing and you don't want to be on a treadmill for 30 minutes or a rower or whatever, then do some high intensity interval training. So whether that be a minute on, 30 seconds off, which is the, the stuff that I tend to do a lot with my golfers, and a lot myself because I don't want to be spending 45 minutes lifting weights and another 45 minutes doing cardio. I want it in and out. I want to, that my cardio is done for me personally at the end of a session. So I've done my muscle building and then I just want to get a quick 15, maybe 20 minutes max of high intensity interval training in. I tend to do either bike or row. I do a minute on and then 30 seconds off. And just each time, just keep trying to either creep the calories up or creep the distance up on the row. And that's the way I do my cardio training. You don't need to spend an extortionate amount of time on cardio. Unless you're training for a marathon, then you've got no choice. You've got to go run. So, yeah, don't have to not spend hours on cardio. Either, I mean, the other version is EMOM. So every minute on the minute you do some kind of a, a row or a calorie burn on, a, on an air bike. So you might do 15 calories on an air bike or 10 calories on an air bike every minute on the minute for 10 minutes. So those are quick and easy ways you can do, you can not spend hours doing cardio. It's 15, 20 minutes max. You're burning a load of calories and you're still getting a, a cardiovascular response. Question number three that's been popping up in the emails quite a lot 
is how many sets and reps should I be doing? How many? Depends on what your goals are. I mean, if you're looking to just build pure muscle uh, and you just want it aesthetic, so you want to look nice and lean and slim and you're still going to have some strength, but you're not looking to, you know, you're not looking to smash a deadlift or bench press or squat, then obviously a higher rep range. It, it's all dependent on what your goals are. If you're looking to burn some fat, build some muscle, then a higher rep range is has been proven kind of in a lot of studies to build muscle. But you can still lift heavy, do really short reps and sets, but do lots of them. So I tend to stick, personally, I do a 5x5 five five training scheme. So I do five sets of five reps of most things. So deadlift, bench, squat, lat pull downs, strict overhead press. Those are the things that I do 5x5. Five five. They're reasonably to moderately heavy. And I just keep adding weight to the bar every couple of four weeks, every two, every fortnight, every four weeks. You know, two and a half, five kilo gets added to the bar, depending on how I'm how I'm progressing. So obviously progressive overload is also a part of that. So reps and sets. If you're starting out, I think, you know, three sets of 10, three sets of eight are, are a great start. Um, and five by five, if you want, you know, I do mine EMOM. So every minute on the minute, I do five by five of deadlift, bench, back squat, lat pull down and a strict overhead press is, is what my five by five program so i'm getting everything a push a pull and i'm building you know upper back legs you know i'm trying to get everything in and it's nice and easy so that's five by five there's like 30 minutes done i've, I've worked every part of my every muscle group in my body pretty much and you can do that on a you know a three by eight or a three times ten program. Do exactly the same, a little bit lighter weight, and you're working on it. So obviously, it all in all in all, it encompasses what you need to do, what your goals are. If you're looking to build strength, then higher weight, lower reps. It's going to take a little bit longer for a response to happen, but it can happen over time so you need to give everything sort of six or 12 weeks to kick in so if you're looking for a leaner body type then more reps with lower weight is going to build some muscular endurance and lean you out a little bit quicker whereas lifting heavy is going to make you much more stronger over a one rep scenario rather than a multi rep scenario it all depends on what you like training. If you want to try and trash yourself one way or the other, just give it a try. So three sets of 10, five by five, you know, whatever you want to do, you just need to try and figure it out for yourself. But in general, what I've said is five by five, lower reps, higher weight. And you can, you can, you know, stress the body that way. Just make sure your quality of movement is there you don't want to be throwing massive weight on the bar when you've only just started squatting two weeks ago so you know sets reps weights it's all you know on you it's how much do you want to do 
and when you want to do it. If you want to lean yourself out, go to a higher rep range. If you want to build some, some muscle, but still lean yourself out, then you need to go heavy and lower reps. But all I'll say is, whichever one of those ways you want to work out, then make sure that your quality of movement is paramount. You don't want to be doing loads of reps where you're only doing half a half a squat or you don't want to be doing really heavy weight and you can't squat properly at all so your knees cave or you've got the stripper the stripper squat you know out out of the back squat you got that stripper raise going on and or you just need to make sure that your quality of movement and that you are safe as long as you're getting some kind of stimulus it's going to make a, a a difference to your body Number four, now this is something especially early in the year, sort of January, February and towards sort of after Easter going into the summer, we tend to find that the gym gets a little bit busy. So you've been given a plan by your personal trainer or you've downloaded one off the internet or you've taken one out of a magazine, either or you've taken it to the gym you're going to go and give it a try. And for the first couple of weeks, you know, before Easter or you know December, because you want to get in early before the rush, you're finding that you can use all the equipment that you need. And then come January, come just after Easter, people are getting ready for the beach. They're getting ready for their New Year's resolution. Gym is packed. You can't use half the equipment. So being... You want to stick to the plan, but you can't use the equipment. So maybe look at alternatives. So if you know you need a barbell, a dumbbell, kettlebell, you need a squat rack, you need this, you need that. So maybe try and adapt that plan. So try and do the plan with dumbbells. Try and do the plan with kettlebells. Try and do the plan with just a barbell. So you don't need one piece of equipment. If you don't need massive weights to do it, so if it's it's three by ten and you, you can you can clean a thirty kilo barbell and you 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 know your back squat should be seventy kilo and it's three times eight, then try doing thirty kilo at fifteen reps on one platform. So you just need to be able to adapt your plan, and this is something that I try and teach all of my clients when we go through our strength and conditioning journey together. Because when they leave me, I want them to be able to go and do a plan, put a plan together, whether they're away or they're going into a new gym and they've reached their goals and they're just what is on a maintenance schedule. I want them to be able to walk into a gym and say, okay, I need to deadlift today, I need to do this, I need to do this. But obviously that's busy over there, that's busy over there. If they can go and grab themselves some light dumbbells and a heavy dumbbell or a light kettlebells and a heavy kettlebell and do basically the same workout. That's what I aim to do. And this is what you should be doing. If you're working on a predominantly barbell plan, then maybe doing something like kettlebells and dumbbells where a little bit more free weight, they're loading slightly differently as well. You can find benefit in that. You might even find that your stimulus with that barbell in, in that way, whether you're deadlifting it or 
putting it overhead or chest press, whatever, the stimulus will change with a, a different piece of equipment. And maybe you'll find something there. You go, okay, the upper pec is a bit sore because I've used dumbbells today rather than just a, a straight bar where I just load this way. So being able to adapt that plan and being able to use different equipment is always a massive advantage to anybody. If you can provide a similar stimulus with a different piece of equipment, this is what being at the gym is all about. And when the gym is busy and you can't enact that plan, having a backup plan is always better than not having a plan. So if you know you can deadlift with a heavy kettlebell or deadlift with heavy dumbbells, or you can clean with dumbbells or kettlebells and you need a barbell, but you can slightly adapt that plan and adapt that process, you'll be a much better, much fitter human being than, you, than most of the guys that are just stood there waiting for 15 and 20 minutes just to get a set of squats in. So yeah, if your gym is busy in those areas, buy some equipment at home, do it at home. Long term, that's going to be more beneficial to you than you paying, you know, two, three, four hundred pounds out to a gym. You can spend that two, three, four hundred pounds at home, and then you've got that workout all the time. But that's then keeping you motivated. If you're meeting a friend, get your friend to meet you at home. They're saving some money. Get charge them five pounds to come out of your house. So yeah. If your gym is busy, being able to adapt your plan, which is something I teach a lot of my clients, is that if a piece of equipment isn't available, there's always other ways to get that stimulus, then that's not always a bad thing. And fifth, fifth question on the fitness side of things. It's always time. I don't have time to work out. And we know this is a, a busy period in January and it's busy Easter uh, and it's busy just before Christmas sort of September-ish end of the year people are getting ready for Christmas parties etc so but I don't have the time to work out I do 40 hours a week I've got two kids I've got this I've got that and time is a massive commodity so if you're like me and you're a busy individual you've got clients coming in out or you're working long hours or you've got you know lots of commit family commitment issues then working out can be seemingly a very time consuming portion of your day so 15 20 minutes to get to the gym you're in the gym for 45 minutes to an hour and a half 15 20 minutes to get home by the time you've had a shower and something to eat there's three and a half hours gone by and you're doing that three times a week that's uh, 10 hours so you need 10 hours a week to go and exercise, whether that is away from you, you know, your home, you're traveling to your place of where you work out. So it, it's hard. It is hard. And I, I for one, know how hard that can be and how demotivating it can be that you you wouldn't work all day or your stuff's in the car. You go straight from work. You've had nothing to eat. And all of this, again, adds on to the very first question, staying motivated. And you just lose motivation. You lose the, the ability and the drive to go because it's taking you 10 hours a week on top of your 40-hour-a-week job and your three kids and your wife and your friends. You're losing 10 hours a week that you could probably spend with them. And I get that. That is a massive issue 
within the health and fitness industry. So again, if you want to lessen that time at the gym, then buy some kettlebells, buy a dumbbell, even buy a cheap little barbell kit, which is 30, 40, 50 pounds from most retailers, sports retailers, Argos in the UK, sell these little dumbbell sets. eBay have a great selection of equipment that's available. That's very cheap. I was just bought some kettlebells for myself. They're 23, 24.99 for a, I think it's a four, six and eight kilo kettlebell. So I'm going to use those in my little uh, workout Wednesdays that I'm going to host at Himley Golf Club. Um, you know, for £25, about $30 probably now, probably not even that, you've got three different weights, which can put three different stimulus, and you can download a kettlebell program and do that at home. So you don't have to spend 25 minutes going driving to your gym. You don't have to spend half of your workout, half of your 90 minutes, so 45 minutes waiting to get onto equipment. You can just use dumbbells and kettlebells and a barbell at home, which just costs you 100, 150 pounds. And you don't have to leave the house. You can do it in the garden. You can do it in the front room. You can do it in the garage. And that will save you, you know, three hours a week not traveling. It'll save you another probably three hours a week not waiting for equipment to become available at the gym. And you'll be done. You'll be doing your three hours a week exercise in your home and you'll feel better. And people around you, and it might even encourage your kids, your wife, your friends, your flatmates, whatever, whoever's in your household to enjoy that equipment as well. Use that equipment. So yeah, I, I get it. Time to work out. It does take a lot of time. But if you can cut that out, cut the middleman out, the traveling out in particular, which is the reason why I turned my living room into the gym and then into a business because it's a private space. I don't have to leave my house. I'm not spending hours a week driving to a gym. I'm not spending hours a week waiting for equipment. I have it here. It's in my home. I have no excuse. I can do three workouts a week that take 45 minutes to an hour, including warm up and cool down, get my stimulus, get in and done and out, and I'm ready for the rest of my day. So again, buying equipment at home is taking money out of Jim's pockets, but long term, it's saving your relationships, it's saving you time, and probably saving you money. So those are the top five things that have come through emails over the last month in terms of fitness. Moving on to the nutrition side. Um, as a nutrition and weight management guy, I've looked at a few things and, and seen if it's a few recurring issues and these are the top five that came out of it. So struggling with protein is one, especially if you're vegan and there are some supplements out there you can take and it's making sure that you make the right decisions in terms of protein and even like not vegans of saying we're, oh, we're struggling to get our protein in during the day during the week and the, the best thing you can do vegan or not is prep meals 
So if you pre-prep some meals, whether it be for the day or a couple of days, you can, you know, with chicken, fish, rice, veg, pasta, tofu, etc., etc., etc. There are many, you know, grow do a lot of stuff now for vegans that has high soy protein that can give you good nutritional balance. If you can pre-prep your meals, you know, there are plenty of websites, including mine, that will give you some ideas on meals that you can pre-prep. There's loads of guys on Instagram. I'll maybe link a few on my social media over the next few days that do, you know, one bowl or one pot meals and they're good for a couple of three days so you, you're eating the same meal for lunch and dinner for a couple of days but at least you don't have to think about it you're getting lots of protein lots of vegetables lots of nutrients all there in one hit so pre-prepping meals is one of the best ways to get extra protein in so you can prepare it yes that does take a little bit of time but if you spend 30 minutes 40 minutes an hour cooking every day if you can cut that down to an hour's cooking every two days, that's going to save you a little bit of time and it takes the the thinking and what am I going to do? What do I eat now? Out of the equation. So that'll be my, my thing with protein is pre-prep your meals. Make sure that you've got enough nutrients in there. You, you can pick this up. I will put this on social media. There'll be a, a couple of guys you can go and follow that do all kinds of different meals. Um... A little bit better than me. I still their inspiration. I will admit that. But they will definitely give you some ideas of how to pre-prep meals. And you're ready for 24, 48 hours at least. M moving into that, obviously, vitamins and minerals. Uh, people go, oh, I'm looking at the PayPal app. Um, hey, PayPal. FitnessPal app. You can look at your PayPal app. That might not help you. But, yeah, my FitnessPal app, again will be telling you, oh, you don't eat enough this vitamin or that nutrient or this mineral, that mineral. And the best way you can you can counteract that is either you, if you do find there's something that you are completely missing out of your diet, either go and find that fruit and vegetable that's going to provide you with that mineral or supplementation at, at the very worst. There are plenty of, uh, of good uh, supplements out there from different companies, bulk powders, my protein, they all do really good supplements that will help boost your intake of specific vitamins and minerals. But eating a colorful diet, you know, plenty of, you know, peppers, pears, apples, grapes, bananas, kiwis, lettuce, tomato, banana, cucumber, all those beautifully colored vegetables that we have in our lives. If you have a good mix of those in the week, and like I say, Going into like January and new clients, I tend to get them to try and eat 600 grams of veg a day. That's a, a different colored veg. So you can't just eat 600 grams of carrot or 600 grams of apple. You have 100 grams of apple, pear, kiwi, banana, lettuce, whatever a day, cucumber a day. You have 100 grams of each. You're pretty much going to hit most, if not all, of your vitamin and mineral requirements for the day and for the week. And exceed them, to be fair. And of course, all that soluble fiber is going to help you keep you full and feeling full for longer than it would if you're stuffing a Snickers more in your face. 
Number three, and obviously we all lead busy lives, me in particular, I'm on the go, can be up to 12 hours a day. I'm, I'm up early, out the door, I'm working uh, greenkeeping, and then later that evening I might be teaching, I might be helping doing some performance coaching. So I'm out the door at 7 a.m. and I'm not back in the door till 7, 8, 9 p.m. at night. So eating while you're on the go. And again, this goes back to the first question that was top of the list um, about prepping meals, getting enough protein, getting enough vitamins and minerals in your body. And it can be hard to pick if you're on the go. I mean, anything chicken or fish is normally pretty good. So you can get some high protein in. Um, picking something that's brown bread, not malted bread, because there's a lot of sugar in malted bread. It's it's hard, it's very hard. So again, pre-prepping meals, if you know you've got a couple of days at work that are gonna be long hours, then prepping a couple of different meals, would be chicken and rice, chicken and fish, chicken and vegetables, things like that. If you've got a couple of meals that you can, you can smash together and keep them in tubs, Tupperware tubs, they're like, saviors if you're trying to eat healthy keep those Tupperware tubs and you've got a couple of different meals probably three meals take three meals with you you know chicken and rice chicken and veg and maybe some kind of a, a soup or something like that that is you can just bung in a microwave and reheat will be great they'll be perfect little meals you're getting your protein you're getting vitamins you get your minerals and you don't have to worry about it so pre-prepping when you're gonna know you're gonna have a long day makes a massive difference to the way you feel because if you've got a scrat you're out 12 hours a day you're at the office or whatever and you've got a scrat for food um, knowing that the girl's gonna come around or whoever the company delivers sandwiches to you sometimes that could be ordered so you could be having a McDonald's breakfast you could be having a subway lunch and you just feel lethargic because that food is just you know not great for you and then you're there late and you're struggling and you're going to end up eating something stupid like a pizza or a donut kebab. So the three meals I would recommend as, as treats throughout the week you've had in one day and you're doing that three days a week. And then you're wondering why you're smashing the gym two or three hours a week. So yeah, eating on the go can be very difficult. But if you can pre-prep meals, again, it's going to save you some time. And it takes all the, all the thinking and stress out of the equation because you're controlling what you're putting in your body. And leading into that, healthy snacking. People are saying, well, I need to do some, you know, I, I eat a lot of chocolate, a lot of crisps, whatever. Um, I've got a couple of recipes on the website. I'll, I will repost that on Instagram and Twitter over the next couple of days as well. So you've probably seen something called bounce balls. So they're little energy balls. They're peanut butter uh, and different things, a little coconut. I've got a recipe for those that is, I wouldn't say sugar-free, though it depends on what type of peanut butter that you use, it's not gonna be sugar-free. But you can make those bounce balls, they're like two pounds, nearly three pounds each now. Cost of living, hey, who knew that? So they're about three, two to three pounds each. You, for about five, maybe six pounds, you could probably make about at least 30. So for the price of two or three of those, you can make about 30 of those. You can store them in your fridge in some Tupperware. I will put them up. So bounce balls 
are great. They're little snacky protein, if you, especially if you like peanut butter. Peanut butter is a, a wonderful source of energy and fiber, and they'll keep you going. So I will put that recipe up on Instagram and Twitter. Um, but yeah, snacking on the go, making sure that you've got like a banana, apple, you know, some kind of fruit and veg, carrot sticks in your bag. Prepping those again is, is important. But healthy snacking, you can swap chocolate out for stuff that like kiwis or fruit, you know. I'm going to say this out loud now and a lot of people are going to hate me for it. But getting yourself a little bit of single cream and getting yourself a load of fruit and veg, kiwis, bananas, apples, pears, grapes, etc. Blah, 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 blah. Keep those in your fridge. A dash of single cream. I'm not saying like half the tub, but a dash of single cream on the top of them will probably be more satisfying than eating a, a dairy milk bar or a Snickers or Twix. So, yeah, chocolate bars go out the window, but healthy fruit and a dash of cream just helps keep the, the, the you satisfied in terms of I'm getting that little bit of fat, I'm getting that little bit of sugar. The final one in terms of nutrition is always feeling hungry and again things that I've mentioned already in the, in the last four questions is sometimes we mistake hunger especially if you're a larger person you mistake feeling hungry for thirsty so if you think oh I'm, I'm peckish or I'm, I, I could do with something to eat before you do that the other question you need to ask is how much have you drunk today how many bottles of water how many cups of tea how many glasses of wine you had? How many beers have you drunk? Because if, if the answer is not a lot, so if you've only had like a couple of cups of coffee, that's it, and it's 5 p.m., that's definitely not enough liquid that's gone into your body. So having yourself a glass of water, and then 10, 15 minutes later, if you still feel hungry, you're probably hungry. But you're more than likely thirsty, not hungry. But... If you always feel hungry, you can also, you know, drink more water is always a good thing. But you can also eat more fiber. So more fruit and veg, more fibrous foods will help keep you satiated and also more protein as well. Adding more protein into your diet, more, more fiber into your diet and more water into your diet. You probably won't feel hungry. So add, make sure you're ticking off your eight glasses a day two to three liters minimum a day per person and I'm not particularly strict on what you drink um, I tend to go three liters a day and you can drink whatever you like whether that be wine tea coffee beer I don't care what it is it's just that if it is uh, beer and wine and you're drinking three liters of it you're probably gonna need to drink another at least another liter or so of water um, and obviously if you drink a lot of tea and coffee you, you expel more urine uh, than if you just drink water uh, and maybe some sodas. Because caffeine, you tend to excrete more urine than you would normally. So if you're drinking six or seven cups of, of tea and coffee a day, I'd probably say for each, each couple of cups, you need at least a glass, another glass, 200, 300 ml of water on top of what you've just drunk just to keep you hydrated 
So yeah, always feeling hungry. Don't make the mistake of, of, of thinking that you are hungry. Go and have yourself a glass of water or something like that. And if you're still hungry in 15 minutes, you probably are hungry. But adding more protein, adding more fiber, and definitely drinking more water will help you not be as hungry. Finally, the one some people have said is the most important part of the show. Um, but it's all important. All this adds together. So golf performance questions that have come through. These are the top five. So number one is struggling with irons off the tee. And it's something that I struggled with as well this year. So tee height was too high, tee height was too low. You know, I was I was basically may as well put it on the ground. Um, and that is the thing. I think irons off the deck, we all know we need to hit down off them. But off the tee, we probably do need to slightly half a ball forward in your stance. Make sure the tee is not like buried in the floor. Make sure the tee isn't teed up like it's a driver. It's an iron. So, you know, some of you guys out there struggle with low point control of the golf club. So low point is where the ball, the club hits the ball and turf, you know, feels like the same time. And we've all heard, you know, you hit the ball first and then the turf. Not, not necessarily. That's, it's not the bottom of your swing. The ball should not be the bottom of your swing. So if it is the bottom of your swing off the tee and it's popping high in the air, you need to move it more forward in your stance. So making sure your tee height is correct um, is, is probably one of the most important things, hitting irons off the tee. And if you tend to pull them left, if you're a right-hander or pull them right, then you've probably got that, that ball teed up a little too high and it's a little too far forward in your stance. Just dropping it a ball, half a ball back in your stance, teeing it a little bit lower, you'll probably find it will go a lot straighter. So strongly off the irons with the tee, that's my answer. Check your tee height and then just check the ball position, whether it's too far forward or too far back. If it's too far forward in your stance, you're probably snap hooking it off the tee. If it's too far back in your stance, you're hitting down on it. It's probably popping high into the air and you're not getting any distance or it's just being blocked out to the right. So too, too far forward means it goes snap hook and too far back it's popping high in the air and probably going right. So just check those off the tee. Those are my tips for that. There's not much more I can do without individually looking at you. The second one is putting. And we spend, as golfers, you spend half of your time putting. Um, 72 hole course, two putts a hole, 72 course, 70, part 72 course, 18 holes, two putts a hole, that's 36 shots. On average, 30, half of that round is spent on the green. And this is where a lot of people, I see them go to the driving range and they're whack, 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 whack. They're hitting driver. My driver's still going left. Or my driver's being sliced to the right. And they'll tee it up and hit another three or four shots and they'll do exactly the same thing. They haven't moved their stance. They haven't checked their alignment. They haven't checked their feet. They haven't checked their grip. They're just watching that little ball pop up on the tee and they're just trying to smash it as far down that range, which goes major right or major left. They haven't moved. That the ball pops up on the tee, they'll whack it again. Pops on the tee, whack it again. 
But putting is the biggest part. If you're struggling off the tee, I get it. You need to fix that. And like I say, and it's alignment, grip, you know, just things like that. And it's the same with putting. Um, most people, most of the emails I had in were leaving things short. And this is a, a little drill you can do when you go to your local golf club or your driving range if they've got a putting green. I either want you to put a club or, or three tee pegs behind a hole. And I want you to get hit 10 putts. So behind the hole, it wants to be probably the length of the grip of your putter. Now I'm not certain, or length of the grip of your, one of your irons. So that's about, what, 18 inches? So about a foot, foot and a half behind the hole, place your club or place your three tee pegs. And what I want you to do is go and hit 10 putts from the other side. And what I want you to do is I want you to get it past the hole, but not to the tee pegs or the golf club. Because then that's going to teach you that, I mean, if it's 18 inches away, 12, 18 inches away, that foot 18 inches, that grip length is a gimme. Most people will give you that in a match, um, unless you've putted so badly they don't trust you. But most people will give you that, and that's what you want. If you're leaving it short all the time, you want to get it in that zone. That 12, 18 inches past, you want to get it in that zone. So take 10 golf balls. Again, need to be the same model and brand. All five golf balls that you've got, hit the five and do it twice. And just count how many. Until you get all five either hold or in that zone, don't move. But as soon as you hold five, or all five or all ten shots have been in that zone or hold, then switch to the other side. So it could be a left to right or, or right to left putt, downhill, uphill. Work your way around the holes. Just do it four times and don't leave that putting green until you've either hold all of those ten shots or all ten shots have gone beyond the hole but they haven't gone to that grip or those tee pegs. So that will just teach you about pace control. And it will help you visualize when you're out on the course as well that that's where I need to be. So even if you need to go and stand behind the hole, so you have a look at your putt from behind the ball, go and stand behind that hole as long as you're not on someone's line and go, this is where I want the ball to, I don't want the ball to go past this moment, this line. And then go back and hit your putt. And doing the drill with the tee pegs or the ball, the, the club behind the hole will help you visualize that so you can visualize that club behind the hole when you're on the course and that's where you want to hit it to and that will definitely help with your putting and leading into that the third biggest one is practicing and like i've i've just said i see so many people practice on the driving range They'll get there, they'll hit a couple of wedges, they'll hit a couple of eight irons, they'll hit a couple of, they'll, they'll hit probably 10 or 15 seven irons because they think it should go 150, but it's only going 130 and I can hear them muttering, oh, the range balls, blah, 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 blah. No, that it, it might not be the range ball. A lot of range balls are pretty decent now unless they're, they're obviously 
percentage balls than only 80% golf balls. Most ranges, if you ask them, they'll tell you. All the balls are only 80%. So if you're expecting your ball to go 150 yards and it's only going 135, that'd be why. They're 80% golf balls. They're going to be 20 yards, 15, 20 yards shorter than what they should be because they either don't have the space in terms of distance on the on the range, so they have to use a, a softer, you know, less flighty golf ball to make sure that they don't lose them into the street or the neighbor's yard or whatever. But then they'll go up to, they won't, they'll hit a couple, they'll prob- probably hit a couple of five irons, they'll chank them or duff them, they'll put that in the bag, and they'll, they won't hit three woods or hybrids, they'll just go straight to the driver. And I see this all the time, people go to the driver and they just watch, as I've said, they'll pop it up on the tee, it's going left, it's going right, it's going left, it's going left, it's going left, it's going left, it's got their out of balls. And that, that's their practice. They might go and buy themselves another 50 or 100 balls to try and fix the driver, but they won't look at what they're doing. So this is a, a practice tip for everybody out there. If you go to the driving range a lot, go and buy yourself 100 balls. And what I want you to do is split those balls into 50-50. So I want you to pour 50 balls into the tray. I want you to keep 50 balls in the basket. Go to your club, your clubs. I want you to hit three to five wedge shots at 50 yards. And if people do this a lot more, inside 50 or 100 yards you'd be on the green instead of blading it through the green or duffing it six feet i want you to hit three to five shots to the 50 yard sign and i want you to get close to that 50 yard sign so imagine that 50 yard sign is a box is a square and if you can put it either somewhere in that square then you've done well well done that's a good start once you've hit your three to five wedge shots, I want you then to go hit two shots with every club in your bag. So this is something that uh, Colin Montgomery used to do. Uh, and I think he still does it. You know, his, his caddy gets him 26 golf balls. He goes onto the range. He hits two balls with every club and then goes and puts and chips and then goes to the tee. Because... He said, if I'm going to hit it badly, at least I know what my miss is. So he'll hit the first one with the iron. If it goes okay, fine. He'll hit the second one with the iron. But in a couple of shots, you can figure out which way or which direction that club's going. So if your short irons tend to fade and your long irons tend to draw, or your long irons tend to fade and your short irons tend to draw, you've got an idea of that when you step out onto the golf course, that's probably a pattern. You'll notice that pattern after a couple of range sessions. So he hit two shots with every club in the bag. If you've hit a particular club, like say, I don't know, like five iron and your nine iron, you haven't hit them very well. You're early in your bag, you're a little bit late on in your bag. So put those two clubs aside. So the two clubs that you hit, the the two clubs that you hit the worst, put those to one side, whatever they may be, whether that be a hybrid or a three wood. And if you if you have got a hybrid and a three wood, 
I want you to hit two off the tee, two off the deck and two off the tee. Because having the skill to hit longer stuff off the deck as well as off the tee is only being an advantage to you. Which means you can get further down the hole rather than just saying, oh, I'll just hit a five iron. When you can hit a three wood off the deck, I want you to hit them both off the deck and off the tee. If you hit them poorly off the deck, put them to one side. If you hit them poorly on all four, definitely put it to one side. So pick the three, two, two to three clubs that you've hit the worst. Put them to one side. And then what I want you to do is hit three more shots. Two to three more shots, depending on how you... Uh, if, you've got, if you've got two clubs, then hit three shots. If you've got two clubs that are like hybrid and... Uh, three wood or five wood whatever you have in your bag before your driver for the big dog I want you to hit two shots with each off the floor and off the deck again just to try and to get a feel and get a fix for what you've done and by this time you've gone through a little bit of practice so you know what you've hit well you know what you've hit poorly and you've tried to rectify that and you've gone through 50 of your golf balls with those 50 golf balls, I want you to then pour them into the tray. Don't need to be in the popper tray if you just tip your basket over. But I want you to, what I want you to do then is I want you to hit 10 with your short irons. So, you know, if you've got a gap wedge, a pitching wedge, a 9 iron, 8 iron... I want you to hit three, two to three shots with each. Now, if you hit your sand wedge full, great, do that. So hit eight iron, nine iron, pitching wedge, gap wedge, sand wedge. Those five clubs, take them out your bag, and I want you to hit two shots with each. But I want you to hit distances. So with those short clubs, so... I'd probably say sand wedge and gap wedge. I want you to hit that 50 yard sign. I want you to have two clubs. One that's slightly higher flighted. One that's definitely lower flighted with a gap wedge. I want you to hit that 50 yard sign. Pitching wedge. If Obviously if you're long enough here. Pitching wedge and nine iron. I want you to hit 100 yards. So pitching wedge and nine iron, I want you to be able to hit a higher flighted and a lower flighted half shot to 100 yards with both of those clubs. And then your eight iron, I want you to carry that over the 100 yards. I want them to be consistent, but I want them to be over 100 yards. So that's, that's pitching wedge, sorry, that's sand wedge, gap wedge, pitching wedge, eight iron, uh, nine iron, eight iron. That's five clubs in your bag. And I want a couple of shots each. And I want your sand wedge and gap wedge to 50 yards. I want your pitching wedge and nine iron to 100 yards. And I want your eight iron to go over the 100 yard sign. I hope you're writing this down. So at least you can have start direction and you can have distance control with more than one club in your bag, which in an approach to greens, under wind, heavy conditions, dry, wet, whatever, will come in very handy. Then I want you to put them back in your bag. 
So that's 10 shots done. So then you've got, I want your five, if you've got it, five, six, and seven iron, I want you to hit three shots each. So depending on your distances, if your seven iron, we'll say goes 150, I want you to go to 150 with it. I want you to try and get 150. Your six iron, I want you to hit the same 150. And then your five iron, I want you to go over that 150 yard board. I want you to, I want the ball to physically go over it. This is teaching you start line and distance control with your longer irons. And then what I want you to do is get your, if you've got a couple of hybrids, great. If not, take your hybrid or your driving iron, whatever it may be, and your three wood out the bag. And with the other 10 balls, I want you to hit three shots. So I want three off the tee, three off the deck, and three with what the other three can be. If you duffed it off the tee or duffed it off the deck, then do vice versa with each club. This is going to give you the ability to hit those off the deck and off the tee. And that leaves you with 20 balls. And 10 of those will then be your driver. So I want you to put those balls in the thing, tee it up and hit your driver. 10 times. And I want you to notice the ball flight. Notice any patterns, whether it's coming out of the heel or the toe, whether you're pulling it left, pulling it right, or it's going dead straight. If you class dead straight as dead straight, because no ball goes dead straight. Leaves you with 10 balls in your basket. And with those 10 balls, I want you, if your first hole is a par 5, or your first hole is a par 4, I want you to play the first couple of holes of your golf course. So imagine you're stood on the tee, you've hit your drive, watch where your drive goes. You know the distance, you know like the first hole is about say 350 yards. You know your driver goes about 200. So you're hitting a driver and a six iron into that green. So play that, play that hole one to two times. Then the second hole, do the same. And that's it. That's your practice. That is the best way to practice. So 100 balls, split them into 50s. Hit two shots with each one. Put a couple of three that you hit badly aside. And then hit them again. A couple of shots. Then with the 50 balls you have left, I want you to hit your short irons to 50 and 100 yards. So that's pitching wedge, gap wedge, sand wedge, nine iron. I want them into... 100 yards your medium irons I want them to 100 yards 150 yards so your five six seven iron I want you to be able to flight them in so the five iron needs to fly over that banner but the six and seven iron need to go to that banner so you have distance control with two clubs 10 balls with your driver and watch the pattern leaving with you with 10 balls in your basket and just play the first couple of holes of your golf course. Stand there and pretend you're on your first and second tees 
and play those holes as you would normally play them. And that's that's it. That's all I can say. For practicing on a range, that's as good as you're going to get. And it will only help you improve as time goes by. That one's a bit in depth. I do apologize for that one. The fourth pop most popular one was improving swing speed. Now, again, improving swing speed, there's some big things on the last couple of years. Obviously, Bryson DeChambeau and um, Fitzpatrick put some distance on over last year and ended up winning a major in his first tournament on the PGA Tour. So, again, buying some equipment, kettlebells, dumbbells, um, and some, some bands can help you. And also if, uh, a swing speed stick so you can get some overspeed training in. A lot of these things are 50 to 100 pounds. They are expensive, but I know personally you can benefit from them. But if not, if you don't want to spend 100 quid on one thing, spend 100 pound on uh, dumbbells or kettlebell and some bands on eBay and you can still tie them around the door and do some exercises, rotational exercises that are going to help improve your swing speed, that are going to help you rotate more efficiently with more force, thus creating more swing speed. And the, it's hard work. It's dedicating. I'm going to say my swing speed training is about 20 minutes and it's a three, two to three times a week. So the swing speed stick itself takes about 10 minutes. And then I have specifically built into my workout program is about five to 10 minutes of additional either banded work or kettlebell work or rotational slam ball work that is helping me rotate with speed and weighted, which then when I swing a, a lighter golf club helps me Put that speed on through the club so yeah i'll be doing a few things on swing speed over the next couple of months in terms of on the website and some coaching plans but yeah if you want to add some swing speed you're going to have to do the work it's about 90 minutes an hour to 90 minutes a week you're going to have to do some exercise you're going to have to put some effort in and unless you're willing to do that then you're probably not going to gain any swing speed simple and the fifth most popular which I'm surprised wasn't the first most popular from what I've seen over the last year or so uh, at a couple of golf clubs is chipping I've got the chipping yips or the chipping chunks how do I eliminate that now chipping chunks delivery people tend to have the ball far too back in their stance so they've got a pitching wedge in the hand of 46 degrees of loft. It's so shut down, they're basically delivering a five iron loft. And they wonder why the ball either gets bladed to the green and do or doesn't stop on a green. So ball position is important, I think, depending on the type of chip you want to play. I've gone to a more neutral ball position, so the, my feet are pretty close together, Ball is pretty central of my feet, which is pretty, pretty central of my body. Um, and to avoid chunking it, I'm going to say this to everybody out there, is doesn't matter whether you're using a 7-iron, 8-iron, pitching wedge, sand wedge, 
stand that club up on the toe. So grip down the shaft, instead of trying to hit it like you're hitting a normal shot, so the club's flat on the floor, I want you to stand that club up on the toe, so you can visibly see the heel is off the ground by about half an inch, which will force you to grip down on that golf club. And stand it up on the toe, middle of your stance, and hit it like a putt. Rotate your body, keep your arms as still as they can, don't flick at it, but use your arms and your body rotation and hit it like a big putt. And this will stop you from chunking around the greens. Obviously there's going to be more work needed elsewhere that you need to work on, but that kind of that technique will help you not dig the heel in. It will also give you a bit more loft, which will give you a little bit more spin. And obviously using then from then on as a putting stroke rather than a, a flicky wrist or a just dumping the ball into the club into the back of the ball isn't seeing the ball fly to the green and it'll give you a little bit more distance control and a little bit more pace control when you're chipping and, and unless i see each individual swing i can't fix that but that's my biggest tip for that chipping is stand the club up on the toe grip down the shaft and hit it like a putt and you'll be able to see how that ball reacts and then make adjustments accordingly. And that's it. It's been a big long one, uh, but three times the amount of a normal podcast. So this is your questions answered special. My name has been Michael Joshua. I am the owner of Failsafe Fitness Limited. If you do want to like and subscribe and share with your friends these tips on fitness, nutrition, and golf, I give out one a week, and I talk about my week and what's coming up. Thank you very much for listening. It's been a pleasure. This has been Felsey Fitness Podcast, your questions answered, bonus episode. We will see you again very, very soon on the normal show. Have a good week. Goodbye, everybody, and keep those questions coming in as well. Fellsafefitness at hotmail.com. Send them in. We will do another one of these, hopefully, in another sort of four to six weeks' time.